It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. Welcome uh, to the Monday morning Daily Thunder. I tell you what, is it uh, summer outside today? Uh, I'm hearing something uh, come through audio. Is that normal? Oh, that's me. I'm hearing myself come through the audio. Oh, that's sort of fun. Uh, we should listen. We should listen to Eric. He probably has some wise things to say. Uh, but uh, I think it was like 50 degrees out there already. Is that what you guys were seeing too? Uh, and it's like 8 in the morning. So I like this. Uh, this is wonderful. Uh, it was a very special weekend for, uh, for those of us uh, that were here. Uh, I know that we have some ladies that maybe didn't get the full uh, spectrum of the experience, but it was the Fatherhood Conference, and it was really, really neat. Um, so I'm in a role on uh, manhood, and so uh, I couldn't help but throw in uh, at least one more. But uh, on Wednesday, you'll see if I can stop. This is like a freight train once Eric gets going. But it was a, oh, I don't know, a month, month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, uh, that I was doing a series on heroic tales and I dealt with valor. And so I'm going to bring it up again, but go a little deeper into it. First of all, it's a fascinating word. I, I know that when our church was uh, trying to rename, that we were going through sort of a church plant type of situation here at Ellerslie. And uh, so they're looking for a new name, and one of the names was Valor. And it's, it's funny because one of the older guys says, it just sounds like one of those hip, cool types of names, you know, that a, a younger church would have today. It's a single word, you know, a little edgy. And uh, however, it's a great word. Valor is just, it's always ranked as one of my favorite words. And you'll understand why. It has, it's like a carrier of a lot of depth. And when, it, when you deal with the idea of manliness, because manliness uh, just is a brief catch up for where we've been going. It is a, it's a lost thing. It's disdained in our modern day. And when you begin to turn away from true manliness, you end up losing the strength of the bulwark of a culture. And so you see that in Isaiah 3, that the judgment that comes upon Israel uh, isn't first war, and isn't first drought, and isn't first disease. It's the removal of men. And so I call it the 11 strengths of Israel, and it literally depletes. Uh, all the strength of Israel is lost uh, in the process. And what happens next? Well, the nation collapses. It says that children are put in charge of the nation. And so when you lose the men, well, so go the marriages, so go the families. And if families are going south, so go the churches, and so goes the nation. So when you establish manhood, well, by so doing, you are actually establishing healthy marriages. If you have a strong man, it's almost hard not to have a healthy marriage. And now, when I say strong, some of uh, you in here could go, well, what do you mean by that? And what I would mean is godly, because there's strong manhood that is anything but godly manhood. It is fleshly in its strength, and that is the worst thing you could ever inject into a marriage. And so, hopefully, if you've hung around here, you know what I mean by manhood. Uh, but it is a very noble, humble, valiant, and beautiful thing. So, valor. 
It's the most prized virtue of ancient culture. So if a man was going to possess anything and he was going to show it off to his buddies, this is what was more prized than anything else. This is what was respected. And so it's a fascinating statement. I'm not talking about the Hebrew culture. I'm just talking about the ancient cultures is that valor was like the premier quality of a man, which is just an interesting thought to just think about because I don't know that we would even be close to that today as far as what we would think. We would say money in the bank and you know, the uh, superstar quality that you might have, whether it's on stage in front of a film camera or uh, on the field uh, playing a sport. You know, what we would esteem as the chief virtues uh, today are, was a different idea back then, and valor was it. So understanding valor can be actually very intriguing because of that. What was it that they esteemed? So when you study ancient war, uh, this comes from uh, a book called The Warrior Ethos, which is studying ancient battle and the mindset of soldiers. It says, in the era before gunpowder, all killing was of necessity done hand to hand. For a Greek or Roman warrior to slay his enemy, he had to get so close that there was an equal chance that the enemy's sword or spear would kill him. This produced an ideal of manly virtue. It's known as Andrea in Greek, that prized valor and honor as high as victory. So this Andrea is this ancient idea, which is basically what we're going to describe as valor. But if you remember yesterday, uh, I think it was yesterday, I, yes, uh, I gave the Greek word when it says, quitchy like men be strong. I said in the Greek, that's the word andrizomai. And in the Hebrew, uh, if you take it and turn it into the Greek, the Septuagint, when Moses said, be strong and of good courage, when Joshua said, be strong and of good courage, they were saying andrizomai, if you were to translate that into Greek. And so where you see this is Andrea. That's the root of andrizomai, or you could say it's the, the noun. This is the substance of it. If you are andrizomain, if you're quitting yourself like a man, what do you have? You have Andrea. And so it was weird. I remember first hearing that and thinking, well, Andrea is a girl's name, right? So I look it up, and it means manly. It was one of the weirdest things. I was like, what? <laughs> that is like such a strange thing. And so Andre, Andy, uh, Andrew, I don't know if Andrew, if that's exactly what it means. I, haven't, I don't know if I looked up Andrew, but it makes sense. So, it, which is fascinating because like, huh, Andrizomai, Andrew, be like an Andrew. It's like, well, I want to name my kid Andrew all of a sudden. That's, that's great. So, but this is the idea of valor. It is to be able to enter into a battle face-to-face -face knowing there's an equal chance that you could die as the one you're fighting against and you will boldly go in there to engage in battle. And something to the ancients, just think about this, something to the ancients was found in the proving of manhood in being willing to go in and do that. There isn't any attraction that I have to that whatsoever. And yet in the ancient culture, that was the proving. So Archilochus, uh, the ancient Greek poet and mercenary, he, this is just a good quote. Be brave, my heart. Plant your feet and square your shoulders to the enemy. Meet him among the man-killing spears. Hold your ground. In victory do not brag. In defeat do not weep. And you can just sort of feel the ancientness of that because that isn't the way we think today. And yet, be brave, my heart. In other words, even the men themselves are preaching to themselves to be brave, to recognize that this is the great manly quality. So when we hear the word Andrea or Andrizomai, to recognize that Paul is literally saying to the church, be manful, 
get your Andrea on. Our exhibition of this as Christians is different than the ancient culture, which valued war and blood. Ours is very different. In other words, we're willing to stand among the man-killing spears and give love in the face of spite. I mean, what we do is so outrageous that we will literally bend and wash feet even though that would look weak as a man. We recognize that there's a greater strength. The valor of a man of God today is actually grander because we have to go right through the winds of cultural correctness to do precisely what God would ask us to do. We're right in the midst of the man-killing spear, which we, spears, which we could call political and social correctness, that we're willing to face these winds and be valorous. So uh, this is just a fascinating uh, concept. The ancients resisted innovation in warfare because they feared it would rob the struggle of honor. So there was a concern about innovation in war. And so you'll notice that war innovation actually, most innovation actually happens in war. So you study most inventions actually come out of war. World War I, just start studying, you'll notice that most things that we actually know about today came out as a result of World War I. And then World War II cropped out some more. But before that, the Civil War, poof, we have all sorts of innovations that are taking place because both sides are literally sticking their best minds at problem solving. We have, I mean, life and death here. We have to figure some things out. And so the ancient cultures were concerned about innovations lest they lose the essence of what war proved, which was valor. And so if you start shooting a missile from miles away, well, there's no valor in that. And so as a result, the ancients resisted innovation in warfare because they feared it would rob the struggle of honor. That is a, a very odd processing, but that's uh, obviously we don't think that way today. So here you have King Agus who says, Alas, valor is no more. Why did he say that? Listen, he wept and exclaimed this when shown a new catapult which could shoot a killing dart 200 yards. <laughs> oh no, we've lost valor. It's sort of like if our job of evangelism was just like sending emails. And it's just like, alas, valor is no more. Because... That's not hard. To send off an anonymous email to someone with the gospel in it is very different than what it's like to actually engage with the Holy Spirit, obey him, and walk up to someone and speak. Alas, valor is no more. And so when you take this ancient concept that was applied to the military and you begin to apply it to us as Christians, it actually is stirring to recognize that the ancients understood that the formation of strength came in the exercise of, of strength in difficulty, to take the little strength you have and to step into a difficult situation, to engage up close with something is hard, and yet it proved something in the man, or in this case, the woman as well. So Martin Luther, if I profess with loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Uh, I don't know if I need to read that again, but that's, that's an extremely fascinating statement. You see, you could profess Christ, but oftentimes in every situation, there is a, there's a little point where the valor is needed because that's the point that is most needed. That's actually what they need to hear. But if you go into that, you're right amongst the man-killing spears. 
So you could speak the truth of Christ in that bubble around the edges of that, but to step right into that little point and to be willing to speak on that subject, well, that takes something in your soul beyond what most of us have, which is what Christianity is defined by, I would say. So when Paul is saying, be manful, or andrizomai, quit ye like men, be strong, it's probably something like that. So let me read it again so you can just sort of catch the, the essence of that in regards to our life today. If I profess with loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Whew. I've had many discussions with God over the years. God, I'm willing to speak boldly for you. Okay, this is, these are real discussions. Just don't ask me to speak on this, please. Because I feel it. I feel that little point. And there's, there's various things that we could bring up that would symbolize that. Okay? Today, homosexuality is that little point. Okay? You have to be somewhat kooky in the brain to just go boldly forward and just say what the scriptures say on it. I mean, come on. Are you, is anyone dumb enough to do that? And to speak on hell. Yeah, that, that's a little point. We flinch at it. Because to, or how about this one? I, I've seen Christians get on Larry King Live and they say, so are you actually saying that there's only one way to salvation? You're saying that everyone else, you're saying that the, the Buddhists, are you saying that the Muslims, they're all wrong. Is that what you're saying? You're saying they're missing it and somehow you found it. Oh boy, there's the point to flinch at right there. When all the cameras are on you, Larry King's leaning in just waiting for you to stumble over your own words. Boy, those are hard moments. But what are we built for? What do you think the Holy Spirit is moved inside of us to accomplish. To make us flinchless so that we don't flinch in those moments. You see, if you lean on what you have, you blanch, you flinch. But if you will not lean on what you have and you lean on what he has to supply, in these moments, what we call the man-killing spheres, most of us are not going to be on Larry King Live asked that question. But it's interesting, but we're being asked that question all day long every day in the culture in which we're living and we could engage and step in amongst the man killing spears and say let me tell you something you need to know or we could do what we normally do which is dance around the edge with self-justification say oh i would go in there but you know there just seems to be a bubble that is prohibiting me you see we don't want to engage that territory but that's where valor is valor and so if you say the ancients prized this more than any other quality, you have to admit, as Christians, just all of us in this room, yeah, that, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> that's why when I was telling you, when, and hanging out with uh, Ray Comfort, uh, to, say, to call it valor is a strange statement. You know, to call Ray, he's a man of valor. But, you know what, that's not a bad statement for it. That guy will go into the most difficult situations with a smile on his face. And just laugh the whole time. And he enjoys the difficulty of it. He's just totally unafraid of incredible obstacles. Just go right up to it. He'll go right into a group of it all by himself. Sort of like Josh Obium taking on the 800. It's very fascinating to watch. Valor. So here's an Eric Ludy definition for you. Fearlessness when the bullets are flying. 
So if bullets are flying, like just imagine someone from across the lake, his sniper is shooting right now. I don't know how many of us just sort of stand, like I just maintain my poise and I'm just like, okay, guys, uh, let's just avoid uh, and not be distracted by the sniper bullets that are flying through right now. Let's just stay focused. It's like, of course we're going to do something, right? But to be fearless when the bullets are flying, okay? That, to be fearless when the accusations are coming, when the mob begins to surround, you sort of get a twinkle in your eye and the side of your mouth lifts with a wry smile. It's like, yeah, this is fun. Who does that? That's valor. Unflinching resolve to do that which is right, though doing it, doing what is right may cost a man everything. Undaunted courage in the face of the gravest danger. Manliness when manliness is most needed. Strength to stand when everyone else has gone weak-kneed. Six ingredients of valor. So I'm going to go through these very quickly. Like I'll give you the overview right now, and then I'll go through each one, but still quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Every single one of these could be a series that I could go into. And it would, ooh, hey, there's an interesting idea. So the glory ache. Anything for Jesus, anything. So I have a term that I use in fatherhood, and I call it the father ache. Because I don't have another name for it. I'm sure the mothers would have the mother ache. Where you lay in bed at night, that's usually when you feel it, and you feel insignificant. You feel like you haven't come close to touching the needs of your kids. And no matter how hard you try, you're falling short. And you want so much more for your kids. It's a father ache or a mother ache. I've never been a mother, so I don't have the mother ache. But it's a real thing where you feel like they, they need more than what you're giving them. And there's something similar I'm going to liken that to here, the glory ache, where you know there is so much more that God wants out of your life. You know there's so much more he needs in this earth. And you feel too small for the task. But this is where valor springs from. Valor, just like valor in parenting, it springs from that ache. God, I'm willing to do more. God, I'm willing to suffer more. That's why you will take a bullet, because you have an ache. You know there's a better way to be living. So number two, the drive for the underdog. Built strong to stand in the gap. Three, the unflinching stance, fearless and without hesitation. Four, the tensile strength, built to carry impossible weights. Number five, the ever-readiness, sword-drawn, itching for the opportunity to wield the manly strength. And six, the incorrigible cheerfulness, which craves a challenge for challenge as a stimulus of spiritual construction. So what do we have there? Six different things, which really does match with the message I gave yesterday, uh, which was called The Uncommon Life, but I was detailing the happy soldier, where the soldier has an inexplicable smile on his face in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. He seems to enjoy it. How could he possibly enjoy this? And yet, that's exactly what this is for us. When you begin to enjoy the challenge that we are set up for, I mean, I, if you could pick a time in history to live, most of us, we think, you know, maybe the Little House on the Prairie days or something. We try and pick a time where there's the least amount of conflict. And of course, Michael Landon and his little crew seem to, I mean, they have challenges, but they're not as extreme, you know, as what we have today, right? I and mean, I'm just living off the land and get away from things. You see, there's an appeal to that. Very few of us are going to pick now. And yet now may be the greatest moment in history to prove valor. 
One of the hardest places to speak boldly the truth of Jesus Christ is in a place called North America. And you can say, oh, no, I'd say North Korea. But it's hard. We're in a blur state where actually we know that it is wrong to speak, but it's not yet illegal. So it's a really weird thing. It's almost easier if it becomes illegal. If it becomes illegal to speak, then we as Christians rise up and say, I cannot accept that. But as long as it stays in this blur state, it's weird. Because we know it's illegal, but it's not illegal. It's wrong, but it's not like legally wrong. It's just that it's going to cost me. And so it actually is harder than if it was just illegal. Come on, someone just make it illegal. See what Eric does. See what, see what we do as parents if they tell us we cannot evangelize our kids. Just watch what we do. But as long as it maintains this bubble of whatever, this milky haze around the edge of it, we're not exactly sure what to do. You've got social services out there. I mean, I don't want to you know, antagonize anyone. I just, I, I'm just trying to live my Christianity. We go into our bubble state. We put a whole bunch of bubble wrap around us, the most we can, and we long for Little House in the Prairie days. What if we were to go poof, bust out of the bubble wrap and say, I got one shot at this thing called life, and these people need to know Jesus. Hey, kids, let's go take them. Let's go pick a fight with the Philistines. Let's go do this thing. In other words, what does that look like? What would it look like if we actually began to show this quality you have to admit it's very attractive if you ever spy it out it's like what is that when someone is bold in this culture it's shocking it's like whoa don't they know maybe they don't have you ever noticed that there's some people that don't have that social sensitivity and uh, you know come in and they'll speak too loud in a restaurant it's like this nice quiet restaurant and it's all romantic light lights flickering candles flickering this one guy's like yeah and so yeah i'd like to order the beef uh, the beef's stroking off. It's like, boy, that guy is loud. You're not supposed to do that. Well, how about when someone comes in and says, hey, your soul needs help. I'm a carrier of the message of Jesus Christ, and I think you need to hear it. Oh, that's just wrong. Everything about it is uncomfortable. We need valor. So the glory ache. The glory ache is not thrill-seeking. It's Christ-glory-seeking. So we have a whole bunch of young people which are thrill seekers. And yet there is actually something that is a greater thrill. If you study C.T. Studd, who is a great evangelist, I mean, just a reckless missionary, if you want to say it that way. He was a thrill seeker. There's no way of, yeah, that's the way we would classify him, but he wasn't a thrill seeker like jumping out of planes and bungee jumping. He was a glory of God seeker. And so he would go into the most difficult, hazardous situations. If there's a lost person out there, if they're in, the, if they're in unreached people group, if they're in the Congo, you know that, that that's where he ends up going. His final mission was to the Congo, which was interior Africa. And when a white man would go into the Congo, he would last about a week because of the diseases. They were foreign to his body, so his immune system was not built for him. CT Studd had already been racked with every disease known to man after being in interior China and interior India. So he goes in. No missionary society would sponsor him because he was too sickly. He's like, they need to hear about Jesus. So he goes in and stays 20 years and turns modern missions on its head. Who is this guy? Well, he wasn't a thrill seeker, but I don't know. I mean, he sure did love the thrill of it. But it was different than just for his own thrill. 
He did it for the thrill of heaven. It's like he had a smile on his face. That guy has one of the greatest senses of humor you'll ever hear is C.T. Studd, and yet what he did was more daring than any man I have ever read about. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but he that seeks his glory, or God's glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Number two, the drive for the underdog. So there is something that God wants to plant inside of us, and we can call it this manliness. The, the one thing that's, that's true about a man is he is moved by a sense of justice. You see, if you take the issue of orphans, it's interesting, but men respond to it as well as women, but women respond first almost through a motherly care, like a compassion, whereas men respond instinctively on the, top, on the concept of justice. So when we hear about a child being, set, you know, a six-year-old little girl being put on a slave block in South America to be auctioned off to men as a slave for the wrong reasons, well, I tell you what, that stirs us as men. And it's not just compassion. It's not that we don't have compassion any more than it's not that women don't have justice. It's just that it's the justice side. That will not happen on my watch. How dare they do that? And so when we recognize that the sense of an underdog, when we see someone that's underprivileged, that sense of justice rise up, rises up within us to give them protection, to give them cover. And so it's the desire to give strength to those who have none. So when you begin to combine these qualities of the willingness to go in and do hard things, the God glory seeker, right, instead of the thrill seeker. They're sort of a thrill seeker. That's what it looks like on the outside, but they actually want God's glory. No matter what it takes, I'm going after that. You mix that with the drive for the underdog, you're getting a unique recipe going here. The unflinching stance, soundness of mind, fearlessness, and zero hesitation in the face of the biggest Goliaths and most insurmountable obstacles. Okay, I don't, I don't know if you're starting to pick up that this is a supernatural recipe that we're putting together. This is God in you. This is not you. Apart from God, you cannot do this. You will flinch. You will turn, you will run, and as I, I think I said it yesterday, as William Grinnell, the writer of Christian Complete Armor, said, God gave us armor, but he made no provision for the back. There's no retreat. We're not the ones that run. We'll make them run. In other words, we are marching on the kingdom of darkness. We're the ones with the victory. Let's prove it. The unflinching stance. There's a scene, and I'm not a proponent, uh, proponent of... Uh, movies, and I'm not trying to get you to watch movies. There's just a scene, and it's in a movie that just happens to be uh, part of a trilogy uh, about little hobbits. But uh, in the, in the, I think it's in the second or third one, but there's this huge, like, rock catapult that's, like, flying. I don't know if it's flaming with fire. I can't remember. But there's one of the bad guys, one of the orcs, uh, is standing there, and he's one of the generals, and he's basically telling his men not to flinch. <laughs> and it's coming straight for him. And, I mean, he has a straight face on. And then right as it's about to hit, he steps aside and goes, right where he was. I, have to, I was impressed with that orc, okay? That was, that was pretty impressive. Because most of us are not able to stand there while a flaming stone is coming straight at our head. <clears throat> Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? The unflinching stance. Uh, David, don't you realize you're just a little boy? He's the champion of Gath. And yet, who is this? uncircumcised Philistine. He's not under the protection of Almighty God. He's defying the armies of the living God. I love this line. William Wallace, 
Since my youth, I have learned to not fear anything. I, I don't know that that was the same as my youth. I think in my youth, I learned to fear all sorts of things. Could you imagine being trained and raised? And you might as well start now in your soul. It's like, yeah, and I remember since it was right around, what, November of 2019 that I have learned to not fear anything. You might as well start somewhere. I mean, he has the benefit of being able to say, since my youth, which really sounds more impressive than our November of 2019 thing. Weren't you like 67 at the time? Uh, <laughs> number four, tensile strength. Built supernaturally strong, equipped to handle impossible weights without complaint, without panic, without breaking down under the pressure. So if any of you have ever heard me teach on tensile strength, it's not tinsel, like what you stick on a Christmas tree. Tensile strength is the measure of rope and springs. And so the reason you measure rope with tensile is because you need to determine how much weight it can hold and for how long before it snaps. And so as a result, we are built in our soul, not with muscular strength, with how much we can lift, but how much we can handle. How much weight our soul can bear before it snaps and for how long. And for many of us, it's like, well, not much and very quick. But God desires to build us as his body to be able to have a tensile like he has, which, by the way, can handle whatever weight. This is a key point. He will never give you more weight than he knows your soul can handle. And he will never keep that weight on you longer than he knows you can handle it. So one thing you can know is if you allow God to build your tensile, he is never going to press you beyond where you're at, where you can actually increase. And as you carry those weights, the difference between rope and you is you get stronger every time you carry something. Whereas rope is just sort of rope, and it probably gets weaker if we could test it. You know, it's like if you keep sticking uh, all the weight you can to test its ability, well, it's probably like little uh, hairs of the rope are like snapping. So whereas our soul actually gets stronger. Number five, the ever readiness. 100% ready, 100% of the time, to give 100%, itching for a glory fight, always itching for a glory fight. If you study, I, some of my favorite books are war books. I, I, I have no idea. It's not like I'm a war guy. Like, I, if you ask me, so would you kill someone? No. No, I'd probably be a chaplain. You know, it's like, I'm not interested in harming anyone at all. I am not an aggressive person. I could be, but I'm not. In other words, it's one of the key areas of harness in my soul is to love even the people that are unlovely and that don't love me. And that's a key discipline of my soul. I'm not interested in harming someone. And yet, I understand what this means. I'm ready for a fight. Not a fight with you, but there's a fight. It's a demonic fight. There's the powers of darkness and they're mocking the kingdom of heaven right now. They're mocking the church. And Eric doesn't like it. And so even though I'm not going to likely come up to you and bop you in the nose, I shouldn't just say likely. I will not do that. Okay, I don't even want to make it sound like it's a possibility. I'm not going to do that. There is someone I'm going to bop in the nose. I've been bopping him in the nose all morning. And I'm going to continue to bop him in the nose. I have been given the victory and the triumph of Jesus and the judgment has already come on the demonic host. I need to exercise that reality in my life. 
And so in a strange way, there is an ever-readiness with a smile creasing the lips to say, bring it on. In other words, we love the battle. If you study war and you study history and you study men, you realize that they longed for war. The winter months were painful because they're, they're built to fight. And so they would languish during the winter months, get drunk, just to try and you know, knock off whatever that mm, is that they had. They, they could hardly handle the winter months because when the springtime came, then they're just like, you know, clanking their swords together, you know, hum, 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 hum. let's go get them. What is that? That's not the way any of us in North America function. What is that? Well, it's a human fleshly rendition of something that a man was built for. You see, there is something that each of us is the body of Christ. When the man, the great warrior himself moves inside of us, he says, let's go to battle. And we're like, hum, 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 hum. let's do this thing. And yet our battle isn't against flesh and blood. There is a real battle, though, so we cannot forsake the battle. We've been given weapons of warfare that are not carnal, but are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Let's use those weapons. So there's an ever-readiness. When a, when a soldier would sleep, is the classic illustration, so he's in his cot, he always has his weapons right there. And he's trained, if he hears a disturbance in the night, literally to grab his weapon and to be ready. If we were to sleep and function that way, could you imagine what that would be like? You know that God should be able to awaken us anytime during the night and to stir us to pray for anything in the world. Could you imagine if you had your weapons just right there and ready to grab and you were ready to jump into the man-killing spears even in the middle of the night? Hmm, that sounds pretty exciting. <clears throat> and number six, the incorrigible cheerfulness. So the incorrigible cheerfulness delights in, in, in difficulty. We could just stop there and hang out there for a while and I could just test your soul on it. Do you delight in difficulty? You see, if this was a pop quiz and we're like, okay, all of you need to fill this out, 100% accuracy, need to be totally truthful, and we'll see. Wouldn't it be fascinating to see what we would get back if all of us had to answer the question, do we delight in difficulty? It'd probably be something like, no, but I want to. Okay, that, that would be probably a common answer. And, you know, even if you asked me, I'd be like, well, yes, but not 100% of the time. Does that make sense? I have practiced this for years of my life, delighting in victory. Delighting in victory, yeah, that's, that's a little easier. Uh, delighting in difficulty, but that doesn't mean I don't have the human side of me that is constantly knocking, saying, please stop this, God. And so I don't feel like I passed the test to the point that I know God wants me to. So I feel him continuing to press this. Some of you have persistent aches and pains and difficulties in your life, health ones, that don't go away. Financial ones that don't seem to go away. Relational ones that just are there, right smack in your face. And it's hard. It's called long-suffering, by the way. Many of us know the word suffering, but we've never focused on the word long-suffering because we really don't want to focus on the word long-suffering. Can we get the word long out of there? I'm still dealing with suffering. Once I get suffering down, then we can discuss long, but I don't think that'll be this side of heaven. Uh, because we don't want long-suffering, and yet that, that long-suffering is what proves this, that when the suffering goes long, you maintain your delight. 
It doesn't like click off or have an expiration date. Well, I can handle this for one day. But after one day, I cannot delight anymore. One week. One week is my expiration. After one week, I cannot delight anymore. How about 20 years? Is there a reason why in 20 years you should stop delighting? Because did you know, and here's one thing that I've, I've said. I said this to Leslie recently. It's a strange, not fear, but concern that I have that if my circumstances change and the weights and the challenges that are constantly pressing on my life were to be relieved, I'm concerned about that happening. You can say, what? Yeah, that's what I say to myself too. What? I should be thrilled with that. And yet, I know the intimacy I have with Christ because of it. I don't want to lose that. God, I, I want the difficulty gone, but I want to keep the intimacy. So if I need the difficulty to keep the intimacy, I accept the difficulty. And that's why you can delight in it because you know the consolation that you're receiving is far greater than the difficulty you're absorbing. So delights in difficulty, smiles at danger. You ever tried winking at dire straits? I don't know what that would look like. There's a dire strait in front of you like, hey. For he is convinced that every difficulty only serves to make him stronger. And he's right. So there's no reason not to be cheerful because everything you will ever face in life only makes you stronger. As a result, you can get excited about it. A workout can be difficult. It can create pain, strain, uh, I was going to call it precipitation, but uh, <laughs> perspiration, <laughs> similar. It's going to create a bodily reaction that's going to cry out for you to stop, slow down, no more. And yet, you can delight in that workout, even chuckle and laugh with the guy next to you that's laying there, you know, writhing on the floor, barely able to breathe. You can both laugh. Why? How could you laugh in a situation like that? Because you both know you're getting stronger. You both know that there's benefit in this. If you don't know that, oh boy, that is hard. Why would you ever go through it if you don't know that? That's the reason we endure. And don't you recognize that's the kingdom of heaven? God's saying, I'm going to turn all of this for good. They're like, but this is evil that is being worked against me. I know. I'll even take that and work it for your good. So God, let me get this straight. That means anything I ever go through actually is worked to good. Yeah. So Eric, is there any reason why you shouldn't be incorrigibly cheerful? I can't think of one. Why wouldn't I be incorrigibly cheerful? Which means I'm uncorrectable in my cheerfulness. No one can take my cheerfulness away from me. I am just cheerful. And it drives the enemy crazy. He sticks me in a prison cell. And I'm cheerful. He kicks me with his steel-toed boot, breaks a rib. Oh, I'm cheerful. I sing during the night, drives the guards crazy. They're trying to break me. Instead, God's breaking them. You see, it strikes fear in the enemy when we're fearless. It does. It's one of the great secrets of the kingdom of heaven. It strikes terror in the enemy when we're cheerful in the direst straits. Because it doesn't make any sense. What do they have? It is greater than what their enemy, the enemy has. And the enemy senses it. They are fearful. They are trembling because you aren't. You're singing. I want us to first esteem. Then I want us to desire. 
I want us to ache to have more. One of the dangers in a message like this is that you think that when you hear it, you have it. And I've said this actually multiple times over the weekend, that to hear does not mean you have. I can tell you about a free uh, barbecue where there's going to be burgers, brats, and uh, what would be something other than beer? Um, root beer. Uh, <laughs> that is going to be on the other side of town. I could give you the directions to it, and I could, someone could come up to you and say, did you believe him? Yes, I did. Well, tell me what you believe. I believe that there are burgers, brats, and root beer on the other side of town today at such and such an address. And guess what? You'd be correct, because there really is. But that doesn't mean you have it. You see the difference? In other words, just because you believe the word and you know it's true does not mean you went after it and you obtained it. You see, the obvious next step, if you believe, is to move in that direction, to go and to follow the directions that you've been given. And what are you gonna find? You're gonna find burgers, brats, and root beer. My favorite is A&W, out of the draft, like at the A&W store, that kind, that's, uh, you know, because I don't drink beer, right? So I can feel sort of edgy, probably, like when I go, and I get my root beer. <laughs> I don't want that to be misleading there. Uh, but for each of us right now, I'm saying there's valor. There's the power of the Holy Spirit to live inside of you so that you can enter in amongst the man-killing spears and be bold, be strong, and of good courage. It's there. And you could say, I believe it. Okay? Go after it. Allow the Spirit of God to cultivate this. And the way the Holy Spirit cultivates something like this is he will set situations in front of us where we say, God, I'm willing. And then he goes, like, well, I'm not, I mean, we don't need to do this so quickly. I mean, I just heard the message this morning. <laughs> I mean, we could let this sort of percolate for a, a few years before I need to actually exercise it. Actually, you want it to be exercised today. So when you know what you ought to do, do it. He who knows what he ought to do and doesn't do it, uh-oh, that's sin. But he who knows what he ought to do and then he begins to do it, that's the formation of the Christ life. So let's not just know what we ought to do. Let's begin to do it, but not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let him be the man of valor inside of us. Well, let's not us try and prove to all our buddies around us that we have it. Let's prove to the world he has it by letting him be like a hand inside of us as a glove and express the valor of the Most High God. Father, I ask for that spirit of boldness and courage and strength to enter into each of us. Lord, may we be ready to speak. May we be ready to move. May we be ready to do things that otherwise would be daunting and impossible. And the world around us shies away and shrinks back. Lord, may we move forward when everyone else sits. Lord, you are looking for men and women of good courage today. And I pray that you would not need to look elsewhere to find them, but right here. Lord, whether this is via podcast, live stream, or in presence right here. Lord, I just ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. And that you would enable us and empower us to live lives of godly men and women. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. 
at Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.